Mr Transport Minister, how are you going to tackle the critical shortage of heavy goods vehicle drivers in the UK? Well, this government has already engaged in an active programme that will reduce bureaucracy and effectively speed up the training of HGV drivers and get them on the road much more quickly than at present. More quickly? Won't that mean that new drivers are less well-trained and potentially less safe? (laughs) No, 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 not at all. The excellent sound of another great British truck driver passing their test. Hello and welcome to what is definitely going to be a particularly happy edition of Gareth Jones on Speed. I'm glad to be back. That's why I'm happy. I'm glad to be back with my mate Zog and I hope he's happy to be back with me. Tell me that's right, Zog. Good to see you again, Gareth. It's been a while. Good to see you. I don't even need to spell this out, but surely the happiest person on this programme is the Australian contingent of the on-speed team. Sarah, how happy are you? And please tell us why that might be. <laughs> well, any Formula One person would know that it was a very happy day yesterday for an Australian Formula One fan, given that Daniel Ricciardo did take first place. And that was his first podium in a couple of years. And his first podium since he's left Red Bull, obviously, and Renault, which is now Alpine. So well done, Daniel. Well done, McLaren. They've got one, two. That's the first first and second all year for any team. So they've done remarkably well. Yeah. 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 I can't remember it. Last time anyone had a one, two, not even Mercedes have had a one, two, I think, this year. I think that's right in saying. No, they haven't. No, it's the first one, two this year, as you say, Sarah. And it's the first one, two that McLaren have had for nine years? Since 2010. And the first win that they've had for... No, hang on. The first one, two they've had for 11 years, first win for nine years. Something like that. It's been an eternity, hasn't it? Too long. Well, it's the first McLaren one, two since 2010 Canadian Grand Prix, if you'd like to be exact. (laughs) And we like to be exact. Exactly. Yes. Well, Zog, before the race started... Tycho, my oldest son, came in and said to me, Dad, is this going to be a good race this week? I said, well, you know, Monza is often over really quickly. It can be done in like one hour and 20 minutes, but occasionally throws up really unusual results. For instance, Gasly winning last year or... Vettel winning in a Toro Rosso when he was driving for them three lifetimes ago. So I said, you know, don't hold your breath. But my guess is that there's going to be a lot of action on one of the chicanes and there'll be a surprise result. And that was the most solid prediction I think I may have ever made in Formula One. We'll come to the incident at the chicane in a moment. But first of all, let's discuss Danny Rick and Norris getting a one-two. How the heck did this happen, Zog? Well, McLaren have been getting better and better. They've been quietly, solidly just increasing their pace. Norris has been delivering terrific results in the car, but I think we've all said that Ricardo has been disappointing, given how good that we know he is, yep. given how good we know he can be. And you know, he's been visibly frustrated that the results haven't been better for him since he moved to McLaren and he struggled to match the pace of Norris. It all came together this weekend. Ricardo managed to jump Verstappen at the start 
and he had the confidence in the car and he had a car under him that was quick enough that he was able to just dominate the race, let it from start to finish, never looked like he was going to lose it. Now, if that incident hadn't happened with Hamilton and Verstappen, it might have been a different story. I dare say one of them at least would have been challenging him by the end. Who knows how that would have played out. But that didn't happen. And it was just a beautiful, peerless run by Ricardo, backed up beautifully by Norris. And as you say, it's a circuit that sometimes produces a different result. The fact that it's a higher speed circuit that tends to favour cars that maybe the ranking of the teams will sometimes be a little bit different at Monza to most of the other circuits can produce a more interesting result. But yeah, wow, it was a fabulous race. We had some good scraps further back down the field, as well as a result that emotionally was a big deal for all of us, I think, as Ricardo fans. Yeah. Yeah, I think we can count all three of us here as big Ricardo fans, but don't think any of us is a bigger Ricardo fan than Sarah. Sarah, that was emotional for you, wasn't it? I was really happy for him, that's for sure. I've just read today, Andrew Benson, who writes for BBC Sport, he labelled Ricardo's recovery arguably greater than you know the other drivers on the field because he's been a lost soul in a car he just couldn't understand all season fair comment so he overtook his higher achieving teammate so it's arguable to say that maybe Daniel Ricciardo just hasn't been used to the car all year and that's perhaps why Lando Norris is getting better results but really I guess I'm trying to say I'm not making excuses for Ricardo, but I suppose it was yeah a very happy day for Ricardo, Ricardo fans, and the fact that he's maybe he's finally getting a hold of this car, particularly because he did quite well in qualifying, and that set him up for the performance that he had on the race day. Yeah, exactly. He said himself, and I think the team had said that, you know, they were all struggling to really understand exactly why it was that Ricardo couldn't get more out of the car. Yeah, a bit of a mystery. And it must be so tough for a driver like Ricardo, who rightly feels he has the ability to win races. When you have a younger teammate who's consistently outperforming you, that's got to be a very tough position to be in, particularly when he's moved a couple of times looking for a better team, a better car, a better situation, and it's just not working out for him. So to come from such a difficult position on the back foot to leading a one-two just magnificent. I mean, this is turning out to be a wonderful season. We've got a terrific battle going on between two absolute masters in Hamilton and Verstappen. Yeah. You know, this really is one of the best title scraps for decades, surely. You know, it's a battle for the ages. And then yesterday, they're out of the equation and we get such a wonderful emotional result with a driver who we want to see come good and a team that we want to see come good. You know, well done, Zach Brown. Well done, McLaren. Well done, Danny Rickon and Lando. Um, well done, Andreas Seidel, who's done a remarkably good job, I think, and has been given the power to do what he needs by Zach Brown. I don't wonder what Ron Dennis feels about this. I remember hearing some real horror stories of how Ron Dennis was treating the people at McLaren only a few years ago. And I am particularly glad that they've managed to reinvent themselves as a happy team. And it's the happiness, I think, that's allowed them that comfort, that confidence that's allowed them to go forward. And could it be that Ron Dennis was actually preventing the team from being who they needed to be and ultimately 
that's why he was rejected by the board. Was mm. Ron Dennis over as a force? Well, I think I want to push back against that without wanting to defend any kind of behaviour, any sort of, you know, any bad management, any bad treatment of people that might have happened under Ron Dennis's leadership. I don't think you can fault him as a leader of a winning team. You know, Ron Dennis knew how to drive a team to victory, how to put together a winning effort and how to engineer a team in a car that was going to win. So how did it go so very wrong under his most recent tenure? I don't know. I wouldn't want to speculate. I think several things had to come together for success to drift away from them like that. But I think part of the story is just that some things just will come and go in cycles. You have to have it all coming together. You have to have the right people, the right sponsorship, the right engine, the right drivers. And when you are very successful, it's much harder to maintain that level of success than it is to fail because... Your people get poached because maybe some people within your team, within that setup, maybe lose motivation because they've achieved what they wanted to achieve. You know, they've got that world championship. They've been part of a winning team for a few years. They don't feel they have anything to prove so much anymore. I don't know. This is speculation. I think it's much harder to maintain success than it is to hit the highs occasionally. That's got to be a big part of the story. Yeah, you've only got to look at Williams to see that's the truth, Zog. Fair observation. And even to a lesser point, Ferrari, actually. But let's return to this weekend and again ask the question, how did McLaren do so very well? How did Danny Rick do so very well this weekend? And did the uh, new format of qualifying and the sprint play a part in it? Yeah, no, exactly. He had a great qualifying and a good sprint race. Now, we can't call it the sprint race. We've got to call it the sprint. That's what F1 call it, not the sprint race. It's called the sprint. Yeah. Okay. And what do you think of the sprint, by the way? Um, I'm not a fan at the moment for one reason, really. It muddies the waters. And that's, you're saying that's bad? Well, what I'm trying to say here is that we've always had an understanding that this is Le Grand Prix, the big prize, the big race, and that Formula One is about one big race over the weekend. And having this other race muddies the waters like okay who won who got pole do you get pole from qualifying and you get pole from the sprint race and so i think the solution is to run the sprint on the back of qualifying so the sprint is the final phase of qualifying and it's just known as qualifying like you know q4 you might call it that and i think that the sprint is also too long as well. I've said this before. Nothing much happens in Formula One without pit stops. So you only actually need five, maybe 10 laps at the most to slightly reshuffle the pack after the first few corners and then see how the cards are now laid out. And the sprint should be the end of qualifying. And yeah, I think we should probably do it on Saturday because I like watching practice on Friday. Okay, but one of the reasons that we had such a good race on Sunday was that Lewis Hamilton fluffed his start in the sprint, which put him back down the field and meant that he wasn't starting at the front on Sunday. And that made it possible for Ricardo to 
get the jump on Verstappen and set up the fantastic race that we had and set up the battle further back down the field with Lewis trying to fight back from out of position, essentially. Don't get me wrong, I'm not suggesting that we should eliminate the sprint altogether. I just think it should be seen as part of qualifying, not a race in its own right. Oh, and by the way, we should also say Ricardo was looking confident and he looked like a winner all weekend. He was sounding confident all weekend. We were talking about his confidence in the car, whether he felt he was on top of things. You know, we could see that throughout the weekend. It wasn't something that just happened on Sunday. He He was there all weekend. Someone else who was there all weekend excelled in every session and was quicker than Lewis, don't forget, in qualifying. I'm talking about Valtteri Bartas. The only reason that he started from the back of the grid for the main race, sorry, the Grand Prix, was because of penalties. But uh, he was pretty close to potentially being one of the winners of that race, wasn't he? Yeah, and he had a very good scrap with Leclerc, who was very smart, I thought, in the way that he dealt with a lot of his racing throughout the Grand Prix. I mean, there was that moment when they were scrapping with Bottas, and I think Leclerc cut one of the corners in trying to pass Bottas, got past him, obviously had to give the place back, but was very smart in the way that he very quickly gave the place back, but was then able to get back past Bottas almost immediately. You know, he kind of kept that momentum going. Yep, smart racecraft. Yeah, I thought, you know, Leclerc drove another terrific race. All the headlines are about, rightly about McLaren, about Ricardo, but Ferrari had a decent weekend also. Science and Leclerc were working pretty good. Albeit aided and abetted by the absence of two of the major players in the Red Bull and the Mercedes, of course. Although it was a big weekend for Italians, you might say. I'm talking about an Australian Italian. I'm guessing they went nuts in Perth, didn't they, Sarah? I would say all their back papers are probably full of Daniel Ricciardo. That would be for sure. Yeah, I'd say the the feeling's pretty good. Yeah, a lot of my friends posted on social media about it. Yeah, any Formula One fan in Australia would be mighty chuffed, particularly since Daniel Ricciardo really hasn't been having a great season because he's being outclassed a lot by Lando Norris. And while he was at Red Bull, he got so much success and he got so much support and I guess fanfare in Australia when he was with Red Bull and I suppose he was a bit forgotten about and perhaps that's what led to what he said when he won the race he said on team radio that he he's never left he just sort of went away for a while so I think yeah. it was good for him don't call it a comeback <laughs> yeah no I, yeah, I don't know whether it would be a comeback or not but yeah I'm sure that Australia would be very very happy particularly yeah, in a McLaren sure. car it's quite cool really Oh, yeah, yeah, that's a complete Antipodean package. Yeah, yeah. But uh, are we at risk of getting a little overexcited here about McLaren? What is it they say? uh, One cuckoo in Monza does not a championship make. Yeah, what are McLaren's prospects and Danny Ricks for the rest of the season? I think they're in for a good chance. I think definitely, I think McLaren will definitely come third in the championship at the very least. I mean, well, they probably wouldn't get one or two because of Mercedes and Red Bull, but I definitely think they are on par for third in the constructors' championships. But I'd love to see McLaren win again, yes. I'd love to see it, but I think what this says is that they're underlining their best of the rest status. Mercedes... And Red Bull are going to, I think, monopolise the top step of the podium for the rest of the year. Bar any other extraordinary circumstances like we had today, 
So no, I would be very surprised if McLaren won any more races this year. But podiums, yeah, they should certainly be on the podium again. And they'll certainly be best of the rest. And yeah, the McLaren comeback continues. Yeah, well, McLaren's fortunes were definitely enhanced by Verstappen and uh, Hamilton. Notice I didn't say Max and Lewis have been taken out of the race. But regarding that crash, that uh, moment of coming togetherness at the chicane, Whose fault was it? Was it Max's fault for not giving way? Or was it Lewis's fault for expecting Max to give way? Or is there another explanation? There's another option. The other option is that it could have just been a racing incident. You know, two cars battling to get ahead of each other and they just... I don't know, the aggression got too much and it was just a real racing incident, even though the Stuarts have called it a Max Verstappen issue, like it was his fault. But I think, yeah, I think it, it was a racing incident, really, as they're coming around the corner. But I don't know who's responsible for giving who room in that one, I don't think. But what I was disturbed by, and I think a few other people will vouch for this, is that Max Verstappen got out of his car and just walked off. He didn't even check if Lewis Hamilton was okay, given the fact that actually, without that halo, he probably would have died. Yeah, that was a pretty terrifying moment with an entire car sitting on top of Lewis's halo there. Saved his life. But the fact that Max walked away without going over to Lewis in some part, suggests responsibility on Max's part, I think. Because if Max truly believed it wasn't his fault, I think he would have gone over to Lewis and remonstrated. Like, what are you doing, mate? As well as checking that he's still alive, in theory. But a very, very difficult situation that was the three-place grid penalty that Max was given for the Russian Grand Prix a little hard potentially difficult decision for the stewards I think I'm very happy that I wasn't one of the stewards that had to call that because in the end I think it was a racing incident to be honest my first reaction when I saw the first replay of it I thought if it was anybody's fault I thought it might actually have been Hamilton's I thought maybe he should have given a little bit more space for Verstappen I think it would have been smart to have given a bit more space yeah to Verstappen there because look what happened and if he'd done that I think he would still have had the pace to beat Verstappen so by racing as hard and as uncompromisingly in that spot he compromised his own race and he cost himself the chance to score more points than Max in that race, which is what he needed to do. Now, that said, going into the chicane, I had a feeling something like that was coming because you could tell from the team radio that Max was steaming. Having had that slow pit stop one lap previously when you know he was stuck for what it was, 11 seconds with a wheel problem, you could have guessed that he'd be pretty mad, pretty stoked, Anyhow, but then we heard Team Radio, he was obviously not in a very bounce frame of mind, he was really steaming. Hamilton had also just come out of the pits, having also had a slightly slow stop. And whilst normally those two guys race hard, but they are usually very, very good at making that fine judgment to not race too hard that something bad is going to happen, they usually give just enough room. But Max was too ambitious going in there. You know, he was never even alongside, let alone ahead of 
Hamilton in that sequence. He was pretty ambitious trying to get through where he did. Hamilton wasn't giving him any room there. And so, yeah, racing incident at the end of the day for me. 13 of one, a baker's dozen of the other. Yeah, yeah. I think so. And credit to the designers and builders of those cars that the rollover hoop and the halo did its job and that Lewis walked away with nothing more than a stiff neck. Yeah, that would have been horrible without the halo yeah a few years ago that would have been that would have been nasty we've had two examples at least in two seasons now of how the halo has almost certainly saved someone's life brilliant the ace of knaves on twitter said that the blame for this incident lies in sausage curbs sausage curbs and f1 have to go launching cars airborne is plain dangerous That's a fair point as well. One thing is to punt another car into the gravel. The other one is to find yourself dropping on top of a car. And that's something I hope Formula One is looking at as well. One of the nicest things that happened over the weekend, I heard, was that Mercedes took a bunch of bottles of champagne over to McLaren because they didn't think McLaren would have enough champagne to be able to celebrate properly. Isn't that nice? (laughs) Isn't that cool? That's that really is. nice. Yeah, and good. I bet it wasn't that's that really Ferrari-branded sparkling wine as well. I mean, there must be a Mercedes-sanctioned version that they could use. Okay, let's talk about other things in Formula 1 briefly before we wrap this. Bottas, liberated by having a new deal to drive next year with Alfa Romeo, put in a sparkling performance all weekend. But is he going to be as sparkling next year in an Alfa Romeo? Well, who knows? Because Kimi Raikkonen, was he sparkling this year? Not really. So who knows? But I hope he does very, very well. And hats off to him for having a good weekend in light of the fact that he's sort of been put aside to make way for George Russell, who is the future of Mercedes, really. Yeah, it has to happen. It was inevitable. We were all waiting for that announcement. And now George is in there. I think George and Lewis's first season together will be reasonably pleasant. I think beyond that, it's going to get messy. I think they'll be on the same bit of circuit. It'll be like Max and Lewis all over again. That's what I think. But yeah, I can't see Bottas doing terribly well in an Alfa Romeo and I think the only reason he signed for Alfa Romeo was that was the only seat on offer really short of Williams when Bottas has a teammate as strong as Lewis Hamilton yeah the results that he tends to get don't really maybe reflect just how good he is what we see is him being beaten over and over and over again by Lewis Hamilton now every other driver on the grid bar possibly Max Verstappen, George Russell with a bit more experience, Leclerc with a bit more experience, is going to be beaten week after week after week by Lewis Hamilton. So it's hard to impress when you've got so strong a teammate. I think a lot of teams would be happy to have Bottas in their car. Good for Alfa Romeo for snapping him up. Maybe they just invested in a whole lot of new dual language Finnish-British signage around the team headquarters or something and they just wanted another finished driver in there i don't know <laughs> but i think you know he'll be a good team leader he's got experience he's a mature very technically capable driver and he'll bring a lot to the team 
Can I just say also, stepping aside from Alfa Romeo, but in terms of signings, quite pleased that Fernando Alonso has been retained by the Alpine team. That's very exciting when you talk about maturity. Your mate, Fernando Alonso, you mean. <laughs> My best friend, Your yeah. best pal, Fernando. <laughs> Bestie. Yeah, that's... I know, the... I love him. Fernando Alonso is just such an asset to the sport. Yeah, well, he he you clearly got on well with him when you met him. <laughs> and that means a lot. Yeah, I'm pleased. I'm equally baffled. I mean, I know you're pleased that Alonso's been signed. I'm slightly baffled that Alex Albon has been signed for Williams. Now, I'm not criticising Albon as a driver. I'm just surprised that Red Bull have allowed that to happen. Clearly, they're offloading their drivers now. They've got too many on their books. And to offload Alex Albon, I'm kind of surprised that they did that. They're a big old tough bunch, aren't they, the Red Bull management? But good luck to him. Perhaps, unless they were thinking of letting him go anyway. I don't know how it works, all the politics of it all. But would there be another driver that would be around for Williams. I wonder if there's anybody up to scratch. Well, there's always Holkenberg, there's Callum Eilot, there's um who else have we got in F2 at the moment who is almost ready to rock in my opinion because you always have to pick the new young talent. I mean, Callum Eilert would be a good pick, but uh, he's the Ferrari junior, isn't he? Would that come into it? Yeah. If you're Red Bull and you're wondering which team you might want to let Albon go to, better to let him go to Williams than a team that's more likely to trouble you on the racetrack, arguably. Williams, okay, you know, they're showing signs of improving, but they've got a long way to go before they... Trouble the front runs. And the rest of the season has still got a long way to go. I think we've still got another 85 races this season, haven't we? So <laughs> plenty of opportunity for more controversy. Sarah, we're going to say goodbye to you now and we're going to welcome Alex Goy. Sarah, thank you for joining us to talk about Formula One. Okay, goodbye. Goodbye. Thanks, guys. See you later. Cheers, Sarah. Fashion Report. And it's another glamorous evening at the Met Gala. Formerly called the Costume Institute Gala, this annual fundraising event for the benefit of the Metropolitan Museum of Art's Costume Institute in New York City is a night for the stars of not only fashion, but stage and screen to make an appearance on the red carpet before the world's press in truly astonishing haute couture. Justin Bieber turned up in a dashing classic tailored black suit. Jennifer Lopez stunned in a daring revealing Ralph Lauren outfit. And great to see Formula One driver Lewis Hamilton here tonight, wearing an outfit that drew attention by having an asymmetric, almost Victorian netting veil over one of the legs of his trousers. This radical bit of fashion design not only drew lots of attention, but also made the eight-time world champion look like a complete Will you welcome, please, returning to Gareth Jones on Speed for the second half of this episode, the lovely Alex Goy. Hello, lovely Alex Goy. Hi. How you been? I've been all right. I've been doing work and stuff. Work and stuff? What's the stuff? Going out and enjoying London's wonderful public houses, mostly. Yeah, nice, <laughs> nice that we can actually go out and be out there and socialise again. Isn't that wonderful? Yes, right. it is rather. Take it safely, though, of course. Obviously. I want to draw my two learned friends' attention to a car which 
I hadn't heard about, that was very Cardiff, heard about, I haven't heard about until this last week. And I don't know if you two know what this car looks like. And if anyone listening at home doesn't know what this car looks like, I want you to type this into your internet search device right now. The car is called the McMurtry Spearling. Now it's spelt M, small c, M-U-R-T-R-Y. Yes, it's Irish, McMurtry. Spearling is spelt S-P-E-I-R-L-I-N-G. So type that in, hit search, and tell me what you think of the look of this car. Right. I can't wait to hear your reaction. I've seen a couple of videos about it, and crikey, it's a looker. McMurty Spearling. Oh, good Lord. <laughs> I have one particular thought about the styling of it. Is it bad? <laughs> well, bad. It's sort of a cross between an LMP car... A Batmobile and yep. a Pagani. I love this. I'm on the Autocar story, just flicking through their gallery. I haven't read any details on this. And uh, it says, Spearling really stands out, even in a field of rare classics and hypercars. Yes, because it's horrible. I <laughs> think that's very harsh. I mean, it, 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 it absolutely has a kind of, um, you know, K-car take on an LMP via Batmobile vibe to it. Nicely put. Google it, have a look at the picture for yourself. But one thing that I immediately thought about when I saw that is, and we should also say this car is a single-seater. It's a very small electric track car. Yep. Not in production yet. It's a track toy rather than a road-going vehicle. So you can get wackier with your styling. And it has an enclosed cockpit for a single driver, a single inhabitant. It's a testicle designed by H.R. Geiger. (laughs) But but, but it it looks, to me, it it reminds me of those 1930s auto union speed record cars. Yeah. It's that kind of look, you know? I'll tell you what I think it is. Come on. I think it's a Tomy model of the Batmobile for the under fives. That's what it looks like. There's so many details to it, like the little front headlights... Those are a little bit Aston Martin Victor. The yep. front end, like the front end treatment itself is Pagani Huayra. Yep. It's got that Batmobile kind of presence, especially because it's matte black. It's got that single bubble of a proper race car. Yeah. It's, mm, yeah, it's a thing that has been released. It's unique and unusual. It made its debut at Goodwood. <gasps> I've got it. You know those kids, you know, uh, like little kids you see cycling around and they've got helmets like crash hats on with little dinosaur spikes across the top yes it looks like one of those that's what it (laughs) It is it looks like a cartoon drawing of the batmobile it does not look like a real car it looks like a baby car well it is tiny you know it's a small vehicle yeah deliberately so apparently the reason why it's so small is to limit the the drag the cd you know the frontal area the volume you might say of drag that it creates it's only 1.5 meters across and barely much longer than that and if you read the spec of the car as well it's bizarrely not over spec if you break it down so it's a full carbon fiber monocoque where the battery is integrated into the monocoque apparently intriguing it will accommodate this is the most shocking thing about this car a driver who is six foot seven. I can't see how that's possible, but they say it is. That means Mr. Spearling is six foot six and a half, it doesn't it? Crikey. He must be. 
It has a WLTP range of 350 miles. Not that you're ever going to drive it on public roads, so that's completely academic. The battery capacity is 60 kilowatt hours, which is a lot less than a lot of road-going cars at the moment. So what they've done is they've gone for the classic Gordon Murray, keep it small, make it light, and it'll be more efficient sort of thing. Its performance figures, top speed over 200 miles per hour, it says. And 0 to 186 in under nine seconds. And 350 miles of range, which is brilliant. Yeah. And from a very small battery pack, ultimately, really. So it's intriguing. There's a lot that's intriguing about this car. They have mentioned one of the most interesting technical features of it. And you mentioned Gordon Murray a moment ago. It has another Gordon Murray feature. It's a fan car. It has 80 horsepower's worth of fans sucking it down to the ground, Brabham fan car style. Because it's got no visible wings and aerodynamics on the thing. This is how it achieves its ability to stay hooked to the ground. Although I'm slightly nervous of the fact that the fan can be turned on and off from the cockpit with a button. That's quite cool. No, but come on, that means you can use it with it being also quite a small car. You could maybe, you know... Get it into your living room. You need to do a quick bit of vacuuming. You've got the most powerful vacuum cleaner on You've earth. You've got the fastest you know, vacuum cleaner in the world. You know, you need, you need, you need a slightly large, maybe you're going to need a slightly large living room to pull this off in, but uh, <laughs> it'll it, probably suck the carpets up. I don't yeah. know. It would suck half the world up, I think. Have you heard it? When the car is static and they run the fan, it sounds exactly like a vacuum cleaner. However, on the road, I saw a clip of it going up the hill at Goodwood. The sound it makes when it's moving is quite alluring. They say it sounds like a jet fighter. No, it doesn't sound like a jet fighter. Jet fighters sound like this. This thing sounds like this. That's not a jet fighter. That's some space vacuum. And it's quite a good sound. It's something sci-fi, yeah. Yeah, it is a bit sci-fi. It's a bit whistly and cool. and We like that. But do you know who McMurtry are or is? Do you know anything about the background of this car? I know absolutely nothing. Uh, Irish engineering company. Yeah. I don't really know, but they're a bit sort of Hass-like in that they're a sort of specialist company that makes sort of machine tools, measuring equipment, something like that. They do make measuring equipment. They specialise in metrology which is not studying the metro, the newspaper or the French underground, but the study of measurements. And they build machines that do accurate measurements. And Sir David McMurtry, who set up the company, is a billionaire as a result of his company's successes over many years. And he's just sold his company, which is actually called Renishaw, by the way. I believe if he hasn't already sold it, he's in the process of selling it, which is why he's got a surplus of cash and which is why he fancies becoming a car designer. He's come up with this slightly preposterous little vehicle, which I adore because it's cute and unlike anything else I've seen recently. Is it actually going to happen, though? What do you think? Small numbers, fairly likely, I'd have thought. Cool track toy. Exactly, yeah. Why not? We're not going to see hundreds, thousands of them on the road, but yeah, I think, why wouldn't they build a bunch of them for rich folks who want an electric track toy? It's a lovely, bonkers little car. If there's a demand for it, they'd be stupid not to. Yeah. But also, what they've got there is they've got, kind of much like a Rimats kind of thing, they have a product that can do cool stuff and if they stick someone in it who isn't their own person and go look this will do cool stuff and say we're making 50 
their 1.5 million quid each who wants them the early adopter tech bros who are sort of the next generation of car fans much to the irritants of the petrol faithful will go yeah i'll have that that looks really fun i'll take that to a track day and they'll start monstering everybody in far more expensive metal because they've got the turbo knacker it looks great fair play to them you talk about putting someone credible in the car. The most credible thing about the McMurtry Spearling is that one of their two test drivers is Derek Bell. Is he a five times winner at Le Mans, Derek Bell? I think he is. If I remember right, yeah, sounds about right. He's quite an accomplished chap, I believe, yes. Yeah, and a <laughs> lovely chap, yeah? yeah? Yeah, great storyteller. What would be a fair price for that? It's driven by economies of scale, isn't it? And you've got to build a lot of them to get the price down. It's going to be more expensive than an LMP2 car, isn't it? Is it? Why would it be that? Because LMP2 chassis are made in their hundreds now by the likes of Delara, Orica and uh, Ligier. And this thing is going to be made in its dozens, I suppose. Pretty exclusive, therefore expensive. Yeah, but all they have to do is, like, if, look at it on the Rimats model, which is we will develop electric powertrains and we will sell that technology to people who want to also develop electric powertrains. They're only making, what, 150 Neveras for a couple of million quid each. So if they're going to go down that business model of using the Spearling as a proof of concept to show people, yeah, this is a sub-thousand kilos, thousand horsepower, single-seater toy for you to play with, but by the way... Uh, Lamborghini is now running our powertrains or well, it wouldn't be Lamborghini because mm. Rimats will inevitably get that but you know XYZ companies running our powertrain all of a sudden it doesn't actually need to be XD gajillion pounds it can be a million quid or 1.5 million yeah. which is still an enormous amount of money but not LMP2 money I thought I would bring your attention to this because, Zog, I think you'd be interested in it from a technical standpoint. And, Alex, I thought this is exactly the sort of car that you should get in and drive and write an article about. <laughs> I would very much like to do that. I knew it. Because it looks ridiculous. Yeah, make it happen. Make it happen. It looks ridiculous, so I love it. Yeah. And did you know what Spearling means? The origin of the name Spearling? I looked it up. It's, it's a thunderstorm? Correct. Well, it also means violence or strife or contest or fight, which is how a thunderstorm is described in Irish Gaelic. It's an Irish word, so it makes perfect sense. Spearling. I had to look it up. I thought, what's a spear? Not spear, like Albert Spear, but spearling. Spearling. <laughs> it was the first spear I could think of. I do apologise. Crikey. I can't think of any others. Well, a burning spear. When in doubt, Godwin's Law. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Alex, I look forward to seeing you driving that car around at some point. And Zog, I look forward to a full technical analysis of how this car is possible from you at some point, too. That's it. You've been listening to Gareth Jones on speed. He's been Alex Goy. Bye. And he's been Zog. Goodbye. And I was Gareth, and it's good to be back. To send us an email, see pictures, get song lyrics, join our Facebook fan site, follow us on Twitter, or to find out about sponsorship opportunities, go to garethjones.tv. Gareth Jones on Speed is made in London by Whizbang. Gareth Jones on Speed! Speed!